dealing with your contractor, which I heard I'm certainly not alone in this situation. We are college educated, master's degrees, my husband and I, and yet we did not ask our contractor for one receipt and just kept writing him checks. And eventually we went through most of our loan and the build out was complete minus a few things like the air conditioning system for the room, which cost us an extra 20 grand. And it turned out that he never gave the check we gave him to the flooring company. So we had to pay twice for the floor. We were definitely swindled. But like I said, you can be as educated as the next person and still be swindled by your contractor. This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, and we're going to begin a series of interviews of the participants of our Cycling Studio Owners Advisory Group, the purpose of which was to put together a think tank, so to speak, of studio owners uh, in order to, A, convey information to future and existing studio owners, but at the same time as we go along, hopefully get some of their learned input, solving some problems that we may have within our industry. So kicking it off is Stephanie Cohen. And Stephanie runs Ride Revolution Cycling Studios in Northvale, New Jersey. So welcome, Stephanie. Oh, thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. And you're very welcome. And is it okay if I call you Steph? Uh, Absolutely. For those listening, um, in case you hear any rumbling in the background, uh, we're recording this on uh, Saturday afternoon, the 16th of July, and we're having one of our typical afternoon Florida thunderstorms. And so hopefully we won't be disconnected either. Give everybody just a little background on you, what, uh, where you live, your family, what your fitness background is, you know, anything you feel of value that uh, people should know. Oh, okay. Well, I'm Steph Cohen, and I'm originally from New York. I went to Atlanta to go to college, went to grad school, and it was in college that I started my fitness journey um, with your basic step class from the 80s and 90s. Then about 12 years ago, we ended up coming back up here via Edgewater, New Jersey, and ended up in Haworth. And I was in medical software sales for many years. And I just noticed that I was happiest going to the gym instead of doing my job like I was supposed to. So <laughs> You're uh, probably not alone. Not alone. <laughs> um, and then in 2008, I discovered indoor cycling and the dark room and the coolness of it, uh, the loud music. I am so into music. Um, just as an aside, I'm usually the DJ for a lot of my friends. I make playlists and CDs and just give them out with the latest stuff on them. I usually am a little bit off the beaten path, so I'm not always with pop music. If it is pop music, it's usually a good 
good remix of it. Uh, that was also a perfect fit for indoor cycling. And then I got certified in 2013 through Mad Dog. I was going to start teaching at the gym where I was, but instead, uh, as a family, we decided to open a spin studio. It was more unique back in 2013. I'm sure we'll get into this later. Uh, we have some serious competition coming up our way, uh, which okay. will open in 2017. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, at the time, I was in a unique position. We found the perfect location. And the perfect location consists of the right square footage with the right free parking. When you said we, um, who, who are you referring oh, to? Oh, my, um, my silent partner is my husband. And um, we have investors that are family members as, as well. Okay. And you also have a family, you have some kids. Yes. I have two beautiful daughters, um, Samantha, who is 15 and Devin, who will be 10. And they are currently away at camp. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I, I remember those days. Well, yeah. it was very nice to have a break. <laughs> so you got certified, but you, you never actually started teaching um, at your local club. That is correct. I um, I was hired. They said I was good enough to be hired. And actually, the first class I ever taught was in my own studio. And I was wow. nervous as all get out. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, it's interesting. Have you ever taken the strengths finder? It's a uh, like a personality test you take that identifies your personal strengths. Uh-huh. Does that is that familiar? Yeah, to you? Um, yeah. There's different ones. I've taken the Myers Briggs and like in my red, you know, in the yellow, blue, green kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, within Strengths Finders, one of the the the, the strengths that they identify is self confidence. <laughs> And I'm going to guess that you're probably pretty high there. Aww. Somebody well, decided with before you even taught a class, I'm going to start a studio. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And and so I had to really start from scratch because I wasn't bringing any kind of following with me. So um, I was very very lucky. Uh, just as we move this flow along into how we got started. Um, I hooked up through a friend with two awesome spin instructors who were well-known in the area. And they were my first two, and one of them is still with me today. So that's how we got started with the clients of those two instructors. And my original roster looks nothing like it does today, and we have a very strong team in place at, at this point in time, which I'm very proud of. I would like to know more about what triggers someone to to jump in feet first to something that you you really had no experience with. Well, I had management experience because I managed people in previous jobs. I was in ah, I was in okay. sales, um, which means you have to be out there, presentable, remembering people's names every all those little tricks that make people feel important, except in my case, it's not trickery. It's, it's genuine. I really do care about all my clients um, as it stands now. Those skills were there. Um, I have a business background. I'm fluent in Microsoft Excel and Word. I'm a good writer, lots of bullet points. <laughs> so okay. my emails to my team, the weekly emails that go out to my clients, all those skills were already there. And, and I'm pretty computer literate. So uh, I learned MailChimp, which is what we use for our emails. And um, I had learned different databases in my previous jobs. We happen to use ZingFit. 
I learned it pretty quickly was is what I'm saying. So I was very comfortable. The only area that I do not take care of is the finance and accounting, which was never my strength. And that is where my husband comes in. He does all the books. So you guys have a pretty well-rounded team. Then. Yes, we do. Because he's not forward-facing. He's very introverted and um, likes to be behind the scenes. Um, and he, thank goodness, will also be kind enough to open the studio for the 5 a.m. and the 6 a.m. classes while I prance in at the 9.15, but I do the evening classes as well. So I, I work late into the night. You and I were chatting a little before we got started, and I think one of the, the I, I want to say harsh realities, but that's probably the wrong way to say it, just one of the realities of owning a fitness business is that you it becomes your life doesn't it it does become your life uh i i do enjoy the break in the middle of the day so i can see my kids after school since there is that classic downtime, whether you're in a box gym or a studio or boutique. Um, usually the crowds are in the early, early morning, then the nine o'clock area, 9am area, then uh, kind of closes for the middle of the day. And then you pick it up again after 5pm. I will say that kind of scheduling helps me keep in touch with my children. Um, so I am in there the after school hours, but I do miss we have a babysitter who helps us out, uh, does dinner and home work. And so I'm not around for a lot of that because I'm back at the studio in the evening. I'm not there 24 seven, but it is your life 24 seven. My cell phone is the business line. We never got a landline. And I am on call 24 hours a day. If people need to cancel classes, they have questions about the Groupon, they call in asking questions about the studio, then I'm kind of on and now, do I not answer the phone at certain inopportune times? Of course, but <laughs> Good for you. but uh, most of the time, I'd say seventy-five to eighty percent of the time, I will answer my phone. Uh, and I know it's a studio call just by the area code that comes up. The other thing I'd like to learn uh, about because I've never been to your studio is that how do you describe it as far as its you know, its uh, its feel, the, the type of classes you teach. My clients have given me the words to use. They say it's very zen-like and it's not a scene. It's not a place to be seen. People come in. Um, the bikes are nice and far apart. They're about three feet apart, which is which is a competitive advantage, believe it or not, down to the littlest detail. Um, we don't use Performance IQ uh, or the screens. or We don't have anything up on the screens. My clients don't seem to demand that. I don't have high-performance riders. I have women aged 40 to 60. They're, they're my primary clients. And they're, they're fantastic. They're, they care about their health. Um, they have the means to spend the money on it. Um, they have the time because most people in that age group don't have young, young kids. So it's, it's a really nice group of women. And I do say women. I have maybe 5% men clients and I have one male trainer. So we definitely have not infiltrated the male market. Um, some of the people come as couples, which is awesome. Some people bring their brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, which is great, but it's still ruled by the women. And anyway, to get back to describing the room, it's about a thousand square feet. It's a huge rectangle. It has two platforms. So it has two rows of 12 bikes each. So 24 total bookable bikes that are three feet apart. And the back row is about two feet higher than the front row. And then there's the floor. 
And then the instructor is up on the podium, front and center, uh, middle of the rectangle. And from there, he or she can control the stereo, the fans, uh, and the lighting. Got it. Okay. How would you describe the type of format that you teach there? Extremely diverse. We have two instructors who are very soul cycle um, meaning that it's a 45-minute class from beginning to end. There are arm weights done seven minutes in the program. The lights are turned on and completely off for a little more dramatic feel. And it's definitely a formula. The first song is 70 RPMs. The second song is 90 RPMs. The third song is a hill. So it's a, it's a formula, but it definitely works. And those classes tend to sell out first. Then we have our male instructor who is like a Marine and screams and walks around the room all crazy and sweaty and his classes sell out as well. And he only plays classic rock and disco. Good for yeah, him. so he um, has a, a strong, strong following, and he gets the most men because he is a guy and he does play that kind of music. But um, so, and then we have others who are just a mix of what I just described. We have the two extremes, and then everyone else who's just kind of pop, classic eighties. And um, most classes are fifty minutes, five zero. And not all our instructors believe in using weights. We used to not use the weights, and I have to say that we gave in to the trend. We used to be a Jennifer Sage, keep it real studio, and now we're not. <laughs> That's what the people wanted, and and we try to do it as safely as possible. We we tell them to stop pedaling. We have other. We have one class format called butt and gut where you get completely off the bike and use the floor space, and that's limited to about seven to fourteen people. That's about it. But we are strictly a spin studio and we are right now looking to see if and when we can open our second location. Oh, good for you. So if and when, we'll see. It's it's a while off, but we started just looking at locations just casually. Well, that's awesome because I know that pretty much everyone I've ever spoken to that's thinking about a studio is thinking about more than one. Well, we only think of one at a time. I am the jack of all trades. I do everything. Uh, I think that you already know from things that I've written to you that I am the front desk. I do the social media. I do the weekly email. I remember everyone's name. I remember everyone's fitness journey. And I wash the towels myself. (laughs) Okay. Well, Steph, how are you going to clone yourself then for the second studio? I... Zingfit is not rocket science, so um, checking people in and learning people's names, and um, I think all that can be taught. I would probably continue the marketing efforts, and we'll get a towel service. (laughs) Good for you. Okay. All right. Now, and you referenced it here, but just for those listening, that we provided you a a list of, I think it's like 16 questions. Yep. And uh, you provided me an incredibly comprehensive response. And I'm going to be sharing that as part of this post for this podcast. Okay. Let's chase after a couple of the questions that uh, you responded to. Sure. Because at the end of the day, they're a, a cycling studio is a business. And business is really about making money. Mm-hmm. And having enough money to to live through that time when you're not making money. Right. You know, the very first question we asked you is that if you were advising someone whose dream it is to open a fitness studio, what would your primary nuggets of advice be? And your first response was, 
make sure the financial picture makes sense. Right. So explain that. Well, we worked with a consultant who gave us a business plan, which was very nicely laid out. And we were able to get a sizable business loan with our family co-signing for it. So uh, the initial projections were classes that were charging much more per class and also did not account for the social deals like Groupon or Living Social. It did not account for the fact that you're paying your instructor the same amount for a human body in there, but the business is taking a hit if that human body came in off Groupon. So the financial picture is not nearly as realistic as what happened with us. Explain that a little more. What What do you mean by realistic? It, it, well, it, it the, give us give me a percentage of how far you were off. Um, we were off by a lot. I'm not going to give an exact percentage, but it, the annual earnings potential was, I mean, about sixty to seventy thousand dollars less than the original projection. So, and also to be able to conduct a a number of classes per week, they were also projected to be a little bit more. Now, we're not so far off on the number of classes per week, but you know, obviously, I'm sorry. Are you are you referring to the number of participants you're re- you're seeing? The number of classes that you we have like 22 classes per week, Sunday to, through Monday. We're open seven days a week. Got so, it. how okay. many classes can you establish that keep at least 10 people in it? Because without 10 people in a class, you're pretty much losing money. So, how many classes? per week can sustain themselves with 10 or more participants. And remember that I have 24 bookable bikes. And if 23 of those people are on Groupon, I'm still paying my instructor very well. I pay my instructors very well. Um, Then you're losing money at that point too. And the projections did not account for that. The projections that we used to get the loan were, uh, you know, everyone at full price and rooms almost full, you know, after the first six months. And that doesn't necessarily happen. There's a lot of trial and error with your instructors. Like I said, my original roster looks nothing like it does today. There are two instructors that have been with me since I opened my doors, and they're still doing great. But other than that, I'd say 10 to 15 people switched in and out. How did you make the decision regarding Groupon? Well, Groupon is the biggest devil's devil's advocate. It is um, your best friend and your worst enemy. I I mean, Groupon accounts for a thousand bodies that have come to Ride Revolution that otherwise might not have come in the door. And we do have a pretty good conversion rate, which is between 16 and 20%, which means that they stay or become loyal. Some of them even became monthly clients. But when they're on the Groupon... And for those of you considering Groupon, never do more than a five-pack because the 10-pack takes way too long to use up. So at least the five-pack. And then we just recently negotiated a little bit of a higher rate. So we're making a little bit more. But it's still about a third of your normal retail price. So it's it, to make that decision, I, I, 
I didn't know any other way. I guess I wasn't confident enough in our original marketing. And we still have it. We're pretty close to disconnecting from Groupon, but it still brings us new clients every week. So it's really hard to turn it off completely like a faucet. But now at least it's evening out so that it's not such a high percentage of our attendance. But you saw how it was both good and bad. Yes. And used it to to, to generate an, an initial community. And but but am I hearing you say then now you're you're gonna wean yourself off of it? Yes, and, and when we if and when we open a second location, we we probably would not do it again because we'd we'd have more reliance on the brand name itself. But I def I recommend doing it at first. But remember, those people were in when our original instructors were in, and we didn't necessarily have a format. I mean, everything was new at the beginning, including the clientele, including the teachers. So um, I you know later learned or learned as I went along that we didn't have the best teachers to begin with, which is why my team looks nothing like it did before. So those original Groupon people, what at least I can do is they're in my database and I've emailed them uh, that we have different instructors now and new pricing and new this and new that. So um, I've gotten a few of them to come back. So you can still market to them later on, which is good, but... I, I wish we could have done it without them, is all I can say. Right. Well, but it's common in a business to have acquisition costs yes. to your customers. Mm-hmm. Seeing is how you receive some level of revenue from it. Yes. Um, it's it's better than just having to give all the classes away for free. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> while you paying your instructor yeah. and your rent and everything else. Yes. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got it. All right. Um, you talk about um, ensuring that you have a strong marketing budget. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, even though my degree is in marketing, but that was 20, 25 years ago. So I was not well versed in the social media arena. So I ended up hiring a consultant for X number of dollars per month who helped me amp up the social media piece, which is incredibly important to a studio. And, uh, you know, you always say, we don't have that in the budget to do that, to hire a marketing consultant. You're an expert in marketing. Why can't you do that yourself? It's not something you want to do yourself. You want to make sure you have an expert on your team who can walk you through step-by-step how to make a post on on Facebook, how to hashtag, how to use Instagram, if you're going to use Pinterest, if you're going to tweet on Twitter. I mean, you my original thought was, what am I tweeting about? How many times can I tweet about indoor cycling? But there, there is, there's different things. You keep it in the health, in the health category. So it's not just about spinning. It's about being healthy. Our tag tagline is keep you healthy one ride at a time. So it's not so much about being on the bike. It's about whatever relates to being healthy and keeping a healthy lifestyle. So you definitely need a strong marketing budget to keep yourself afloat. And also that marketing budget has to start before you even construct the four walls of your studio. Stephanie, forgive me for, I laughed earlier because when you said that about what would you tweet about, it's indoor cycling. Uh Well, that was the exact thought I had eight years ago when I said it's indoor cycling. What could I possibly have to talk about beyond like the second or third interview? Mm -hmm. And that was three hundred and yeah, right. something you know, interviews ago. Something. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So it is a very it is a very 
not only complex but personality driven industry. Yeah. I'm just kind of digging through here, and again, I'm I'm going to post this as a PDF for everyone. Well, this is always a favorite one. Uh, if you're starting over today, what would you do differently? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I would have seeked out more online assistance uh, and help. I think that I tried to connect through Facebook with other studio owners. As soon as I found the studio owners group, uh, I, I did reach out and offered my help to people. I've spoken with several people who were just opening studios. Um, but to do differently, I mean, if something like our advisory board that we're making right now existed, that would have helped a lot. And dealing with your contractor, which I heard I'm certainly not alone in this situation. We are college educated, master's degrees, my husband and I, and yet we did not ask our contractor for one receipt and just kept writing him checks. And eventually we went through most of our loan and the build out was complete minus a few things like the air conditioning system for the room, which cost us an extra 20 grand. And it turned out that he never gave the check we gave him to the flooring company. So we had to pay twice for the floor. So it's, it it was, we, we were definitely swindled. Um, but like I said, you can be as educated as the next person and still be swindled by your contractor. Uh, a little uh, naive. Yes. It's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing We're I believe that we're not as profitable today, uh, three years later, almost three years later because of the things that we did then, uh, by not, keeping careful track of the money to begin with. You, you get this loan and your bank account is full of over $100,000 in funding and you're just, sure, we'll write you a check for $16,000 for bathroom hardware and this and that. Oh, no. Yeah, so it goes very quickly. You have to watch every dime. And that is the major, major, major thing I would do differently is, is dealing with the contractor and the original build out. Would it have helped to have, I don't know how you would describe it, not a general contractor, but a, an advisor or a, a hard ass for lack yes, of a better term? Yes, <laughs> it would have it helped. Like, hello, did you get any receipts? Um, you know, use your head. And we trusted him. He was good. We worked together. He was very talented. What came out of my brain came through his hands and built exactly the studio that I wanted. So I have no regrets there. But when it came down to the end and we started finding out that things weren't being paid and we had to pay for things twice, that was that was very tough. And then when you go after these contractors, they just uh, close their accounts or close the name of that business and start something else. So we have a judgment against him right now where he owes us $25,000, but we'll never get it because oh, that's too yeah, bad. we'll never get it. So that is what I would say is my biggest advice. You get so excited at the beginning with your initial funding. Don't lose yourself in that money. It goes very quickly. Watch every dime that comes out of that account. I'm going to have that right at the very beginning of this as the intro. <laughs> Because <laughs> that is profound, and you're right. Yeah, you're you. you people naturally want to trust others, and mm-hmm. and you don't know you don't know the right way to do it, especially if you haven't done it before, which is so often yes. the case. Yes, um, with new uh, studio owners, and oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That that makes it tough. I I know we uh, my family had a 
similar issue a long time ago with someone we trusted and shouldn't have. And yes, and and I don't know if you ever really feel fully recovered from it. Right. With or with and and like you say, judgments are are hardly worth the paper they're printed on if you can't collect. Right. So right. And uh, so, but you live in New Jersey. I would think that you could you could find some muscle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll seek out Tony Soprano, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Of. I couldn't think of his name. Yeah, yep, yeah, I need yeah. the Sopranos. That's what I need. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, I don't know that we need to go there. But maybe that's a side business. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Going after swindled studio owners. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, our our business owners in general, yeah. right? The, 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 the Equalizer, I think that's what that whole TV show was based on. Okay. So anyways, um uh, you referenced it earlier about competition. Let's talk about that. Yeah, competition. But, uh, first, first, um, who do you view right now today as your competitors? Pretty much any fitness gym or studio within a 15-mile radius of us. We, we've done a couple of surveys. Most people, the clear majority of people, are only willing to drive 2 to 10 miles to get to their fitness studio. Regular gyms are competition for us. Because if they're paying a monthly fee there, then they have a hard time justifying paying another monthly fee with us. And so if they are members of other gyms, then they're probably buying individual classes or packages. People who are on our monthly oh, let me let uh, excuse me, let me interrupt just to be clear. Sure. So you're just so you're offering a, a per class payments or a book of payments or or a class. Um, package yes we package, have right. um, an individual class which is x number of dollars then um we have a, a couple of packages but one package in particular that we found our sweet spot that really sells well and then we offer two types of monthly memberships which is one is the regular and the other is for teachers fire and police Oh, or awesome. students. So um, they that's about $40 cheaper per month than the regular uh, regular price. And we do yeah. very well with, with both monthly packages. So the first of every month, there's an influx of income for sure. <laughs> Those reoccurring payments yes, are always yes, wonderful. Yes, they're, very, they're very nice. Um, but you also need the people that buy packages. You don't want everyone on your monthly or, or that would be it. So Mm -hmm. uh, we definitely have some clients that just want to buy one class at a time. They don't want any commitment. And then others that buy the packages of seven or ten. Okay. And then and the uh, information that you provided actually breaks down the, the, the pricing that you have. We don't need to get into it right now. Right. But for uh, somebody can download this and get a get an understanding of where your what your pricing models is. Okay. Right. And that's and that's and, another thing that you have to be prepared for if what you have to do differently going back to that question for a minute is just the original price of your single ride or service uh, may not end up being the price that's accepted in your market. So we, we found that price by surveying other spin studios, breaking down other gym memberships and other yoga studios. Yoga studios was a big, because there's so many of them. That you find that you know the sweet spot is twenty dollars per class or twenty five dollars per class, and then you go somewhere in the middle. Got it. Okay. That's how you. Got that's it. how you determine your pricing. But after a while, you'll see that your market may not accept your individual price. Perfect. And I'm glad you brought that up because I know that I've talked to some who who, who think, okay, well, there aren't any indoor cycling studios near me, so I don't have any competition. That's wrong. And, that 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 yeah. is incorrect. Right. You're it's it's you're 
people have only a certain amount of time available to them to exercise. Yeah, and even even Peloton is a little bit of a competitor. It's not a big competitor, but uh, Peloton is the company where you can buy the bike and then subscribe to their service and download their classes at, at 24-7. And ride at and home. Ride at home. Um, that's not a huge competitor for indoor cycling because uh, I think most people want the experience of the room and the energy of the other people around them. And probably those Peloton bikes might end up being coat hangers like the traditional indoors, <laughs> indoor bikes of the 70s the and five 80s. Mil- the, the, five million doll- the 5 million spinning bikes that they've sold online. Right, right. Yeah, right. The, the coat hangers. The coat hangers, yep. right. So um, I, I know a lot of people who have purchased Peloton bikes and end up not using them and going back to their studio. So um, it's not a huge competitor, but you do have to think of everything in your market. And yoga studios are competitors. Like we said, there's only so much share of time in someone's day. And if there's a ton of yogas available around you, that's that's also a little bit of competition because they could decide to do that. A CrossFit or boot camp um, and regular gyms. Do you have any Orange Theories? Um, Orange yeah. Theory is not near me per se, but but they're, they are here in this market, yes. Right. And, and they're a cardiovascular yes. fitness. And mm-hmm. so yeah, they'd, they'd be a closer... Right, but we do have we have a huge competitor coming um, close to us in 2017, which is a little worrisome. But as you've said before, how do people describe my studio? My studio is not gonna is not a scene. It's not a place to be seen. You don't have to wear the brand name clothes. You don't have to have a Mercedes to come. Whereas people are already (laughs) anticipating that franchise clientele are going to be more upscale. It's more a scene. It's more you have to wear the right clothes. Your hair has to be coiffed. You're, you have to have makeup on and you have to stand around talking to the right people. And it sounds very socially complicated over there, whereas mine is very socially innocent. What kind of uh, income level is, are you situated in? Um, what do you well, mean? I mean, in, is, it, in, is it really affluent? Is it just middle class? Is it? Oh, um, middle class to upper class. Okay. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, but it's not Jersey Shore. No, no, it's not Jersey Shore, and it's not Westchester, New York. Wealthy. How do you react uh, competitively? Well, I we are much more grassroots, and uh, like I said, our our instructors and myself, we know everyone's name. We make them comfortable to come back. It's not going to be a fight about the latest and greatest technology. Um, we are almost up with our original bike lease, so we can get all new bikes. I know we have the same bikes that they use, um, and we can get more updated technology with the consoles, but. It's all about the instructors, and I'm willing to pay my instructors pretty much what I need to to keep them, to keep my team intact. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to let them bully me, but I'm willing to pay my instructors because that's what it's all about. And the instructors that fill the classes, I'm sure they're sniffing around them and are going to go after them. Right. So, okay. So, how do you prevent that? You, well, I have a very strong relationship with my instructors. I treat them with utmost respect. And like I said, I pay them very well. We pay a flat fee plus a fee per head over 10 members. So they're well compensated. Yes. But ultimately, it's again, it's the feel of the place. We are more a mom and pop shop. They're a franchise. I can change my pricing um, or run a marketing campaign in a, in a in an hour. I don't know if 
being a franchise, they're going to have to follow certain rules or what they're going to have to do to answer to corporate. So it's, it's going to be a very different feel. And there's, there's going to be a, a lot louder, a lot busier. There's video screens and the music is really loud when you walk in and, and lights, there's going to be different lighting. So it's, it's just a lot busier, a lot more going on. Mine is, like I said, much more like a yoga studio feel when you, when you walk into my spin studio. Awesome. Well, this has been incredibly valuable, Steph, and I appreciate your time. We're at uh, about the 40-minute mark here, which is a little longer than I even like to go, but I've had such a good time talking to you. Oh, okay. Cut it off early. Thank you. Yeah, and again, you've got a bunch of additional information that you've provided that we'll uh, have available for download. Okay. Um, Any final thoughts that uh, you want to share? Uh, no, I just, I mean, we're available to talk to anyone who's even considering opening a studio. Uh, competition is a lot tougher now than it was even three to five years ago. But if it's your dream and your passion and you can have that come out to your clients, then you can do it. You can do it. Awesome. Well, Steph Cohen, Ride Revolution Cycling Studios, LLC. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Thank you for your time and your uh, contribution and and also for your willingness to be part of our advisory group thank you so much john i appreciate it 